a lot of the stuff that people say, like ascribe to one gender or another, that's really all made up. There's no like law anywhere saying that, oh, this gender needs to wear this and this gender needs to wear that or dress or act in a certain way. Like it's really up to you to decide how you are going to act because you're your own person. Don't try to form yourself to that little box that someone wrote a letter in when you were born. Hi, and welcome back to Gender Chicken Tender, a podcast where I discuss gender and make the occasional chicken pun. In this episode, I'll be talking about the gender binary, focusing specifically on its norms, the experiences many have had with it, and the societal and cultural egg expectations that come with it. (laughs) All right, I think that's my cue to welcome today's guest. Hi, why don't you introduce yourself? I'm Artemis. I'm in grade 12. And what are your pronouns? That's going to be he, him, she, her, and they, them. I don't really mind. They're all good with me. I identify as agender. It just means to not really have a gender at all. My mind basically doesn't really get how gender feels. And what's that like? Imagine someone who has never eaten apple pie before in their life, and you're trying to get them to understand what that's like. Sure, you can maybe give them a recipe or tell them what eating apple pie is like, maybe even like show them other people eating apple pie and really enjoying it. But unless they eat apple pie, they're not actually going to taste it, if that makes sense. That's sort of kind of what that experience is like. With a lot of people, if they were to say like, oh, I am a boy or I am a girl or I am gender fluid or something like that, it would then have a meaning to their identity. But if I were to say any of those things, there's no part of my brain telling me that it's right or wrong. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But that might just be because I've never had apple pie before, at least in the literal sense. I would imagine that discovering what being a gender means and later identifying as such, as well as coming out, might have been difficult for you, especially since agender people don't receive a whole lot of coverage or representation. Well, I don't really remember exactly because it was actually about a year ago almost, but I do remember that sort of at that time I just met a small group of other LGBT people that I became friends with and quite a few of them were trans themselves. And since I hadn't really interacted that much with trans people before, you know, I didn't exactly know what the experience was like. They tried to explain their experiences to me and actually found that there were some things that were actually in common that I found between me and them. But at the same time, there were also a lot of things that just didn't make sense. And so I kind of had to take a while to sort of think about it. And eventually I stumbled upon the identity of agender and really kind of felt that fit what I was experiencing. After that, I told my friends and they started calling me by my now preferred name. And that was all great. But for actually telling my family, that took almost a year, probably close to 11 months or so. But now that that's all happened, I am very appreciative that they're all accepting of me and, and my identity, even if it was really hard to sort of come out like that. Coming out can be a really hard thing to do. And I'm super glad that your community was supportive. Unfortunately, acceptance and support aren't a global norm when it comes to LGBTQ plus identities. Yeah, I am very thankful that doing even in a very supportive community that can be very stressful to come out. Definitely. So earlier you mentioned that some of your trans friends' experiences align with yours, especially in regards to gender dysphoria. 
Yeah, like some of that was talking about how like certain kinds of gender dysphoria that they experienced. And I actually had realized some of those things myself when it came to certain things that I was, you know, not comfortable about with myself, but I had never really pinned those on being a gender thing, more just being a more general anxiety or insecurity type of thing. But them contextualizing it as being gender dysphoria kind of made it start to make sense. And everybody's experience with gender is unique. So I'm sure that your experiences with gender dysphoria, while at times similar to others, was also very individualized. Yeah, like one thing that actually happens a lot of the time is I don't like my voice very much. To me, at least it sounds a little off. I do kind of wish my voice was a bit more androgynous type of thing. That's probably like one big thing. On the flip side of that, I know that one of my friends who's gender fluid gets gender euphoria when he's singing and his voice matches the pitch of a male artist. And just going off of what I said earlier about people's unique relationships with their gender, that also extends to gender expression, which doesn't always have to correlate with one's gender. I've personally never had to experiment much with my gender expression, but I know that for many, it can be a long process. Well, I'm actually still trying to figure that out really stuff like the clothes I wear and that type of stuff is more unisex right now, but I am also interested in trying out skirts or something or stuff that's generally considered to be feminine just to see if I like it. I don't really ascribe to express myself in one particular gender, just kind of picking and choosing whatever is most comfortable or I enjoy the most and just kind of going with that without really taking whatever gender society has pinned something to into account. One thing that I remember from a few years ago was my parents always make me have short hair. And this started years before I even found out about my identity, but I really hated having short hair, but I was not allowed to grow it out because according to my parents, that was not a thing for boys to do. And so I had to just kind of struggle there with not being able to have my hair the way I wanted. That just really felt kind of dumb to me. What says that you have to have your hair or clothes a certain way? Definitely. Going off of that, I've had my own experiences with the gender binary. And it's honestly a bit silly how society tends to force people into categories. Whether you're cis or genderqueer, it's not constructive or beneficial at all to describe traditional behaviors to the sexes and create all of these societal and cultural pressures to not deviate from them. Yeah, exactly. It's all just kind of ridiculous. I, I feel like as human beings, we're so complex that categorizing us into little boxes just is not going to work. I think that like, if we really want to progress as a society and make it something where, you know, all people can feel happy and accepted, stuff like those gender norms and binary are going to have to go away. I think even for everyone, even like cis people included, they're not going to fit 100% into those little boxes. And if we're being honest, gender is a social construct. I think that society could do a lot more to be encouraging and supportive to people who want to step out of the boxes that we arbitrarily assign them. We may treat these like human nature or the law, but in reality, these are just social identities and labels that we've created on our own. Yeah, exactly. Really, I think the most important thing for like everyone when it comes to being genderqueer or agender or anything like that is that the most important thing you can really do is just respect people. If they tell you to use certain pronouns, use a name, just do that. Definitely one thing is in a lot of systems, especially with like when it comes to school and stuff, having the ability to put 
your preferred name somewhere and have that be what appears instead of having it happen, your legal name being put there and not having to go through a whole process to get that change. Like, for example, I had to go and go talk with my counselor about it and fill out a bunch of paperwork for that. And there wasn't really like a place where I could just, you know, input preferred name and have that just show up really easily. And so it just kind of made that whole process harder than it needed to be. Going off of that, I also go by a preferred name, which is Chels. I know that it's definitely not the same thing that a lot of genderqueer people go through, just because I have the privilege of presenting as cisgender and I don't have to deal with the stigma that comes with having a name that supposedly doesn't match my sex. But yeah, I mean, I totally agree that getting people or institutions to call you by your preferred name is way harder than it needs to be. A lot of the times, it requires you going into these really awkward and potentially even uncomfortable situations where you have to ask people to call you a certain way or use certain pronouns, and it sucks that this isn't normalized. Just speaking from my experience, I've had conversations in the past where I'll tell people that I go by Chels, and then they'll ask if they can still refer to me by my legal name or just flat out refuse to call me Chels, which is honestly kind of bizarre to me. Because you're literally just dropping a syllable from my name. It's, it's nothing fancy, but I mean, I understand that there can be an adjustment period for people, but it can be a bit frustrating at times when people don't respect your name and pronouns. Yeah, exactly. With all the digital stuff that we have now, if we really wanted to implement, make it easy, it would be really not that difficult to just add in a section in place where I can put your name or you can have your legal name if it's something that would require that. And then just also have a section that says preferred name or nickname and just have people be able to put that there and that be what shows up. And that's just something that would be really easy to do. And yet a lot of places don't do it. That just creates that artificial barrier there. Even in like places like here in California, where it's like people are generally more accepting, sort of these passive barriers are still there. I think I don't think that's like you know all because of malice or transphobia or anything like that it's more just a lot of times people don't realize it because it's not an experience that they have themselves and so right if that's not a barrier that you've encountered before you might not pick up on it as easily without anyone wanting to do harm it still pops up yeah for sure and I mean that kind of relates to the patriarchy the patriarchy is essentially just a collection of societal and cultural norms that we continue to enforce. Of course, the patriarchy is hugely connected to other oppressive forces like capitalism and the like, so we can't truly abolish the patriarchy without getting rid of all the other systemic issues that plague society today. But the patriarchy does boil down to just societal and cultural norms. But here's the thing. Norms can change. We've seen it before. And norms are fluid and reflective of the times they were popular in. So I think that if society as a whole and individuals actively try to do things like challenge long-standing institutions and the way that we think or the biases that we hold, change can be made. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think I've, I've already said this before, but just to repeat myself again, like as a society, if we really want to progress forward, a lot of this stuff is just going to have to go because it's not going to be compatible with a society that is fully accepting of everyone where people can, you know, be who they want to be. And it's really sort of just like sweeping away a bunch of those old norms that have persisted throughout history and are still going into the present day. 
I think it's really interesting that you brought that up because I actually wrote a feature about the coloniality of gender, which is the theory that gender is a colonial imposition. One of the sources that I interviewed said something of the same sentiment. Basically, he argued that we should try to see past all of the labels that we've given people because at the end of the day, no one person is the same. And the only thing that we all truly have in common is our uniqueness and how different we are from each other. I'm just gonna quote him directly here because I think it summarizes this episode pretty well. Ultimately, you have to view each individual as an individual and a failure to do so simply does violence to them. Yeah, exactly. Like putting labels on things, putting people in little boxes, even if you add more boxes, it's still putting people into these little boxes and telling them to conform to it. Let's just get rid of the box entirely. 